Welcome to the Ultimate NBA Season Preview presented by Prize Picks. I'm your host, Tanitra Batiste. In this six-episode series, we'll go around the NBA getting insight and analysis from all 30 of our Locked On NBA shows with local coverage in a way no one else can give it to you. Now, in episode four, we're looking at teams on the rise. And we're going to get to the Timberwolves and the Kings a little bit later. But first, joining me is our Locked On Kings host, Matt George, Locked On Pacers host, Tony East, Locked On Thunder host, Ryland Stiles, and Locked On Knicks host, Gavin Shaw. Good to see you guys. Good to see you. Now, we're calling it on the rise, so definitely believe that there are some surprise teams potentially, maybe sooner rather than later, in terms of getting to the finals. So which team do you feel like? And love to hear you guys' thoughts and debates on this one. Which team's closest to winning an NBA title in the near future? If I could go first, I'd got to pick the team that made the second round last year and pick the Knicks because <laughs> they already have two all-star caliber players and, yeah. my gosh, enough picks to trade for all of us and two stars and several other key things. So as much as I believe in Shea and Tyrese Halliburton, I think the answer's got to be New York. Yeah. Ryland, give us give us some more praise. What do we got? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look, I mean, I, I, I do believe, obviously, the Thunder have a great foundation, uh, and they're going to add Chet Holmgren. They're going to add, uh, of course, uh, SGA made a monumental leap last year, arguably a top five player in the world right now. But that core has played zero minutes together because Chet Holmgren was, of course, out all of last year. So they've still got to gel. They've still got to figure out how to get to the actual playoffs. They were an under 500 team last year for all their improvements. They still were not at that 500 level. They still did not make a playoff series. And they play in a much tougher conference, in my opinion, the Western Conference. So you have to go with the team that has those all-stars already, has, like Tony, Tony said, an underrated stash of assets to go trade. People always talk about the Thunder and their ability to go trade for stars. The Knicks not only have the market to do it, they have the assets to do it as well. And so when you factor all of that in, it has to be the Knicks because, they, like Tony said also, they've already been there. They've already been in the playoffs a couple of times. They've now uh, advanced in the playoffs as well. And so they have to be the closest uh, as in terms of at least this season. I, I would have to you guys. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm not going to argue with you guys. Um, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll say it's the Knicks as well. Um, I, I think there there are a lot of doubters out there about the New York Knicks. The reason the, the Knicks are on this podcast, not another one, is their uh, FanDuel over under just 44 and a half this year, despite winning 47 games last season, despite playing at around a 57 win pace after acquiring Josh Hart. And we, we spent a lot of time on Lockdown Knicks discussing why this offseason that might be. There's a, a clear hole at a power forward because Tony and his friend stole uh, our, our good friend Obi Toppin uh, from us. So there, there's a little bit of risk baked in if there's any substantial injury to Julius Randle. Um, maybe there's a notion out there that Jalen Brunson's year it was, it was an outlier season in some ways and he won't be able to repeat that. I actually think he'll be better this year. But look, the Knicks were significant by like a pretty decent margin, the youngest team to make the second round of the playoffs last year. They bring back essentially every key piece from that team. They do bring back every key piece from that team outside of Toppin. Um, they add Dante DiVincenzo, who I think will actually improve them off the bench because Obi was asked to play what was basically a guard role. And now they actually have a talented guard to play that role offensively. Brunson should be a year better. Guys like Emmanuel Quickly, Quentin Grimes, um, RJ Barrett are all on the upswing, all younger guys. So I don't really see any reason the Knicks shouldn't be better unless you just think the Eastern Conference around them is better. Do I think they're going to win a championship this year? Not particularly. Out of this group, they are probably the best contenders. Maybe the Kings could have an argument in that conversation. Maybe the Wolves, if uh, if Anthony Edwards makes a leap. But I, I think for now, it's the Knicks. 
Yeah, I would can have we, to agree with can you we as rush well. to defend the guys who aren't here? <laughs> Their teams are pretty good. And Anthony, had I want to shout them out. Yeah, right, exactly. But yeah, I'd have to agree with you on that, Gavin, because for me, I think that Jalen Brunson is going to make another leap. I think that what we saw in him last season was the actual Jalen Brunson. I think the Mavericks are still triggered by the decision to let him go. And I think this is one of the times, and dare I say this, not to insult the New York Knicks organization, but there have been times outside of this last, I'd say, year and a half where they literally have looked like hot garbage. Staff, uh, the coaching staff, the team, as, as well as the front office. I think now you're seeing an organization that is stabilizing and that is actually looking to get back to their winning ways, the Knicks of the Pat Ewing era, if I may say. This team, to me, looks like a team that can do that, but it's also the pieces around them, like I said, the coaching staff as well as the front office, that are looking to actually make them a champion. So, yeah, I, I would agree that for our group, that's probably the team that's right there on the cusp. And I'd say because I may even put them a, a little bit ahead of the Kings because, as you guys mentioned as well, the West is hard to come out of and it's going to get it's going to get progressively harder to come out of. But, Gavin, you know, you look at a team like the Knicks and they rebounded, they beat the Cavs last year. I mean, where do you kind of see them sitting heading into this season? And you kind of talked about some of the moves that they made, some of the losses that they have, but what do you see for them? Yeah, I, I think you have to have them definitively behind um, Boston and Milwaukee. Um, obviously, the Damian Lillard acquisition only uh, further cement that. And I, I think even if that hadn't happened, Milwaukee would have been the team that I, I just would have said if everyone's healthy, the Knicks would have had a really tough time getting by in the playoffs. They played the Celtics really well last year. Obviously, they beat the Cavs. They pushed Miami to six games, maybe a shot or two away from pushing that series to seven back in MSG. Who, know, who knows what would have happened there? Um, but Milwaukee is in their own class. Boston is maybe a move away from that. I'm, I'm a little bit dubious about how it's going to work with Chris Stapps Porzingis in terms of his health, in terms of them leaning even yeah. further into that three-point heavy identity. After that, I, I think you can make the argument for the Knicks next. You, you have to respect Miami despite not yes. getting Damian Lillard because of the institution. They're not, not so much as a regular season team, but as a playoff team. Cleveland, I think, is going to be an incredible. I, th I think it's almost the opposite where they're going to be exceptional in the regular season, maybe um, have some reasonable doubts in the playoffs given the way the Knicks kind of bullied them out of the postseason. Then Philly, who knows, but, but very, very significant questions there obviously but I, I don't know tony ryland um where are you guys at like am i am i being objective here in, in thinking the knicks could be as high as three in the east yeah I, I think that you are i think that with the east there are so many question marks i think it's it's obviously great to acknowledge milwaukee boston gonna be better but philadelphia we don't really know what's gonna happen with the james harden situation as of right now uh, that's gonna throw a wrench into things and miami of course you respect their organization and their history and you know that they have a great coach they have a great front office but Last year, it was a historic shooting run that got them through that playoff run, which you cannot always bank on, of course, having a historic shooting run. Uh, it's very much a, a variable for them. If they didn't get that shooting outburst, they probably wouldn't have made that run, obviously, to the finals. So that limits them in the postseason if they cannot kind of recapture that. And then you go on down the list and the Knicks are right there. And I think it's a great point that the Cavs right now don't project to be a really good playoff team. They'll have to prove that with Allen, with Mobley, that they can coexist in the postseason coming up how high is the ceiling for these teams but first you know buying tickets especially if you're like me you try to do it last minute is not the easiest thing sometimes it can be very very frustrating if you were trying to catch a beyonce concert or if you're trying to get a ticket for the braves nlds both of which are very very hard to come by but 
there's a way you can get around it and take out the frustration. That's with Game Chime. It's the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. See the view from your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. They're obsessed with finding ways to help you save money on tickets. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the start of the event and even an hour after it starts. So take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Now, terms apply, but again, create an account and redeem code L-O-C-K-E-D. O-N-N-B-A for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Antonia, I, I would agree with Gavin, with Rylan. What do you think? Yeah, I think that I'd have the Knicks a little lower than top three, but definitely firmly in the top five or six. Like, yeah. it's just the, the thing is, I agree with everything you've said about the Knicks. I'm just a big believer in the top end talent and Embiid's still around and Tatum's still around. Yeah, yeah. And now the Bucks look amazing. But I think they can catch Cleveland in the regular season. Even like you said, they played at, what was it? 53 win pace with hard. So by hard shooting 55% question the sustainability of, but they were that good when they, but like DiVincenzo is there now too. And Toppin's a loss, but he only played 15 minutes a game. Like in theory, they should even be a regular, regular season team too. So I think they can climb up certainly maybe catching Cleveland, but I think those, those top teams with the star talent will still be, Difficult to leapfrog over. I mean, Harden's just such a variable, right? That, that's it the is. thing we don't know. And we've seen his ability to epically torpedo and, and eat his way through an early portion of a regular season. <laughs> that's right. And it, I just, I, I get the feeling that, like, if Philly turns him into Drew Holiday tomorrow, yeah, they're, they're clearly better than the Knicks. And Bede is in a different, at least as a regular season guy, a different universe of a player yeah. than anything the Knicks have. I, I'm just betting on continuity here. I mean, the Knicks bring back more of that, I, I think, essentially than any other team in the NBA. So I think if you're looking for just regular season standings, there's a chance the Knicks get off to a really great start. Yeah. And I think when you say continuity, I like, I think, or continuity is a good way to say what they need. I also think there's some consistency because there are times when, if we're honest about it, Julius Randle just disappears or RJ Barrett has a sub game after game after game. And you wonder like, you yeah. know what RJ Barrett can do, but for, like a stretch of games, you won't see it. Or in the case of, you know, the Hawks and Knicks, you know, that whole battle back and forth, I cover the Hawks in Atlanta. And there are just times where it's like Julius Randle, you could take over this entire game if you want to. And he would just kind of disappear. So I think, like you said, the continuity of the roster coupled with if those guys can just be more consistent, I'd say I'd put them in the four as well, because it always feels like for the East, probably for the better part of four or five years, it's the Bucks, it's the Celtics, and then you just play around with it because think about it, guys, there have been times where the Bulls have moved in and out of that top three or top four. So, yeah, the East is always a very intriguing animal. And then when you've got guys like James Harden, we don't know where he's going to land. It makes it intriguing as well. Like Tony, the Pacers finished just outside the playoffs last season. So what do you kind of think might be that one thing or two things that will help them get over the hump and get back in contention, whether that's play in or an actual playoff spot? I think there's three things they would hope would be the answer to that question. One would be health. Um, last year, if Halliburton and Turner played, regardless of the health of any other player on the roster, they went 26 to 22. It's not a good record, but that would have been seventh, tied for seventh and eighth in the East. Like that's already that level of team. So more health from those guys and availability from their best players would help. The second thing they'll hope is defensive improvement. That's why they got Bruce Brown this summer. He was 
magical for the Nuggets on defense in much of their playoff run, including in the final shutting down whoever his matchup was on numerous occasions. The Heat were a great matchup for him specifically, but the yeah. Pacers' point of attack defense was terrible last year. His growth or an addition plus other guys' growth would be the hope to improve their defense. And the third one would be what I just said, growth from some of the younger guys, a step forward from Ben Matherin, a step forward from Andrew Nemhard, Tyrese Halberns, of course, only 23, right? They have a lot right. of youth who can take a step forward. So the combination of those three things could be the answer, but any one of those things clicking better than last year, whether that's added talent, better defense, youth growing would be their hope to jump from where they were to where they want to be, which is in that play in playoff hunt this year. Yeah. And Rylan, what about the thunder? You know, they're a team that, like you said, they, they're not there yet, but they certainly have the core to be there. How do you feel that they can make that leap? Whether the leap is in the play in the leap is in the playoff. What's the leap for you and how do they get there? Yeah. The thunder are no doubt going to be a better team this year than they were last year. But yeah. the thing is last year, they made a 16 win improvement and those kind of improvements are just such an anomaly in the NBA. You're not going to continue to see these massive wind jumps unless they break the norm of what we're used to seeing in the NBA. And so they're at 40 and 42 last year. They made the play in. they won a road play in game as being the mm -hmm. second youngest team in NBA history. And for them this year, they're going to have to add in Chet Holmgren, which will maybe throw off some chemistry at first. Maybe you've got to kind of gel and get those guys together to where maybe it's not going to be a 10 win improvement or a even a five win improvement, but I do think that they're going to be a better basketball team, no matter what the record says, which has the potential to go on a Kings like run where they come out of nowhere yeah. and become a top four seed, but also has the potential to have like a modest two game improvement, but still they were able to fill some deficiencies by getting Chet Holmgren this year. They're going to add in a two time EuroLeague MVP. Who's a 29 year old rookie, Vasily Micic. They're going to add in a top 10 pick in Casey Wallace and their highest pick in the rebuild. And they're only top five pick on this roster in Chet Holmgren. So despite all of the uh, tanking or whatever the Thunder have done, Chet Holmgren is still their highest pick and their only top five pick of this entire thing. So he can be a really good player, along with SGA proving this song. Last year was a fluke. It was no fluke. He is one of the best players in the world at the FIBA yeah. World Cup. So this team will for sure be better. But in a tough Western Conference, uh, I, I think that it's going to be uh, – it might not be tangible in terms of a, a huge win total jump. It might just be a couple of games. But I would be stunned if this Thunder team did not play postseason basketball, whether that be the play-in tournament or the, the actual playoffs. I think that they can get to a top six seed, though. Yeah. Saw it with my own two eyes. Shea Gilgis Alexander is a problem. He is a problem, and that's a good thing for Oklahoma City. Now, you guys have talked a lot about the rosters with each of your respective teams, right? And your teams are young. So this is kind of a projection across maybe the next three to five years. When you look across the rosters, as they're currently constructed, who would you say is that guy where you're like, yeah, that guy is going to be the best team on the or the best player rather on this team and that's going to be the guy that really helps us to get there um for, for the knicks it, it has to be jalen brunson i don't think there's any argument it was interesting during the regular season obviously julius randall was, was the guy the two that got the accolades he was the one who made an all-star team he was the one who made an all-nba team at the end of the day and then come playoff time and and, and granted the the caveat there is that julius randall was was 
gutting through a busted ankle, but uh, Brunson elevated his game to a level I didn't expect. And, and that wasn't really even the case in the Cavs series where he, he played about as regular season level, just a little bit less efficient. But then over those final three games against the Heat where the Knicks season was on the line, he put up 37-5-5 and five on, on just crazy shooting. And, and it was a situation where at times Tom Thibodeau was throwing lineups out there with R.J. Barrett and, and Josh Hart, and there was essentially no shooting on the floor. And you saw one of the better defenses in, in, in recent um, – maybe maybe recent NBA playoff history in the Heat, um, basically throwing three or four guys at Jalen Brunson. It just didn't matter. He was totally, totally unstoppable. And 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 that, more than anything else, like when we talk about future championship equity, kind of got my, my gears turning a little bit with the Knicks. And not that Brunson doesn't need help, not that the Knicks probably don't eventually need to get another star at his level or greater in the building, but we saw a guy who, it seems like he could be the best player on an Eastern Conference Finals team, if nothing else. Maybe more. The ceiling with him is just a little bit higher than I think even the most optimistic Knicks fans' thoughts. And, and that is is really, really encouraging going forward if, if you're New York. And, and you're hoping to break that now uh, half-century title drought. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Can the follow-up from the Knicks be the Pacers after the the point guards crossed paths many a time in <laughs> yeah. the last calendar year? Yeah, lot, lots of Twitter battles fought over that one. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, I don't think they have any beef like like as actual players. In fact, they were yeah. very close on Team USA. But the Pacers guy is Tyrese Albert, who was an all-star for the first time last year uh, at age 22 at the time he was named. He's 23 now. Uh, only guy ever in, the M- in NBA history to average 20 and 10 and shoot 40% from deep. In a yeah. season, I mean that is his pass. His combination of shooting, scoring, and passing is unheard of. Literally, uh, one of the best passers in the NBA, and he can pull up in your face from thirty feet and in. Like he is just so hard to defend. Yeah. And the Pacers' whole identity goes from there. They're one of the best transition teams in the league. They tried to add to that this summer with a former Nick and Toppin, as well as Bruce Brown, and a lot of their draft picks were good in transition at the collegiate level. He's smart on defense too, despite kind of getting bullied when he's on the ball. Like uh, everything he does sets the whole identity for the Pacers and is the reason they were able to take such a leap over expectation last year to getting to 35 wins when their projection from most odds makers was 23, 24, right? Hal Burton's growth was a huge part of that. And maybe he has another gear. Maybe this is just the guy he is and they'll figure out how to build around him. But either way, we haven't seen him in the playoffs, so it's hard to say exactly what that looks like for the Pacers at their best when they're ascending. But they know what they have. They know they have one of the best 25-ish players in the NBA. The question is, mm-hmm. can he get better? How do they build around him now? Indeed. And Ryan, what would you say for the Thunder? For the Thunder, the number one guy is for sure going to be Shea, and you and you just love to build your brand and your team around Shea. Yeah. He's one of the coolest players in the NBA. And as a small market, you need those kind of players to, to transcend what they do on social media and, and, and interviews and on Fashion Week at the Met Gala and in the World Cup and everything else that, that they do <laughs> to put you on the map. But he's going to be the best player. For sure. He already is the best player in the Thunder roster, but it's going to be interesting. And I think that a benefit that the Thunder have that other teams don't is finding out who the second best player is, because we saw Jalen Williams out of Santa Clara be runner up for rookie of the year last year and look incredible. But a year ago at this time, we were discussing Chet Holmgren being generational. So if he can hit the hit that ceiling, then it transforms what the Thunder can be. And oh, yeah, you also have Josh Giddy, who already has an elite trait in the NBA, which is his playmaking. So if he can become that second best player, clearly in a way, then this Thunder team gets really fun really fast. So having that mixture of guys behind Shea is what's going to elevate this Thunder core. I kind of like where Ryland went with that. So Tony Gavin, I want to throw it back to you guys. Give me the second guy who's going to be, who you need to be that guy for the Knicks and for the Pacers to, well, continue to ascend. But ultimately when you look out maybe three to five years and again, 
assuming no changes to the roster, just as constructed today, but who would the second guy be for you? Yeah, I, I think that might be the single biggest question for the Knicks, not not for this year. For this year, it's obviously Julius Randle, but three to five years down the road, um, you you wonder if it's always going to be him. Obviously, he's had his issues with the Knicks in the past. And when when I look at that 44 and a half number, I think what's baked into that is, is Julius's track record on the Knicks is a terrible year, a season where he makes all NBA, and even worse year, a season where he makes all NBA. Um, so that's that's a little scary if, if, if you're the Knicks front office or, or if you're someone who roots for this team. And I, I have a feeling he's going to have a very good season because last year I, I just think he he kind of pushed his game 10 percent into more analytically for analytically friendly way um, directions that's that's what i'm looking for um there, there was a point i think 30 games into the season where he was leading the nba in three-point attempts which blew my mind he went from taking a lot of long mid-ranges to a lot of short mid-ranges was getting to the basket and dunking the basketball better than he has at pretty much any point in his career so there, there was a lot to look forward to as, as he kind of heads into his 30s um, but also there, there are points where he's been a little bit erratic, like uh, obviously t- his playoffs didn't really calm anyone's heart down. And, and then you say, all right, if not Julius Randle, then who? That's where things get really iffy because Emmanuel quickly is probably the next guy with, with the most star power on this team. Unfortunately, he plays the same position as Jalen Brunson, despite the fact that the lineups with Brunson and quickly on the floor together were some of the best in the NBA last year. I think I think 98th percentile offense, 88th percentile defense. Those numbers flipped in the playoffs, but were equally high. Um, there's not really an appetite in New York and particularly from Tom Thibodeau to play those two together because of the lack of size from the two of them. I would encourage the Knicks to try it and see what they have in quickly, but he hasn't been extended yet. So you have no idea if he can be part of that group. And, and to your point, Tanitra, RJ Barrett, very, very erratic. I, I think he is going to have a long NBA career. I think he's going to have a lot of moments. I, I do not ever see him being the second best guy on a championship team. That's a step too far for me. Quentin Grimes is awesome. I don't know if he quite has that ceiling. The Knicks' strength is in numbers, right? They, they have nine, ten guys who are good NBA players and all well above average for the spot in the rotation that they play. Um, the issue is, do they have that second star and how are they going to go get that star? As Ryland and Tony pointed out, they have plenty of assets to do so, but they also have to compete with teams like the Thunder who have even more and, and teams like Miami and L.A. who have a similar appetite, similar market to eventually get those guys in the building. The Pacers answer is similar but different. It's similar in that. This year, it's obvious. Three to five years from now, it's not so obvious, right? This coming year, Miles Turner is going to be guy number two. Last year, career highs everywhere. Shot yes. really well from three, was at 38% for much of the year. His defense is phenomenal. It cleans up a lot of the young Pacers' mistakes. 18 points a game, uh, got his rebounding up a little bit. His, his around-the-basket play is actually what improved the most, despite his three-point percentage popping off the page to most people. Well, him being able to duck in and score and punish switches inside and have this little – hook shot looking thing that he'd never had before made him way harder to guard. It made it way harder for defenses to switch on to him and know what he was going to do after screens. And that paired very well with Tyrese Halliburton and is a reason the Pacers extended him last year. They know he can be their center of the immediate future, but he's only under contract for two more years and they have a lot of young ascending talent. So three to five years from now, if you ask the Pacers, I think they would hope the answer is Benedict Matherin, who at times looked like the best rookie in the NBA last year. I mean, that dude, has more confidence than all of us combined, maybe 10 of all of us combined. He's coming at you. He's going to the rim. He's trying to score. He had the 13th best free throw rate in the NBA, not among rookies, of every player in the whole league. Right, He can get to the line very well already. He was a decent shooter to start the season, but that faded away. His passing came and went. Those are the things the Pacers want to see. If he can be, if he can add one other skill that makes him more complimentary with Halliburton, whether that's outside shooting or 
or playmaking, that would make them such a dynamic backcourt and make them really hard to defend in a way that would make everybody else's life easier too. So I think the hope for the Pacers is that he can be better. If not, it's going to be, can Andrew Nemhard grow? And can he be, you know, a Drew Holiday type player that it looked like he could be? He was one vote away for making an all-rookie team last year. But of course, Matherin scoring and, and snarl, <laughs> for lack of a better term, uh, certainly makes the Pacers hope that he'll be the guy that can be their number two in the future. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I think a lot of it is just as you guys mentioned, there's so many variables, including injuries, unfortunately. And I think with you, Rylan, that's pretty obvious. Like we we really don't know what we're going to get out of Chad Holmgren. But one thing that's consistent with the three of you as well and would probably be consistent with um, our Timberwolves uh, and Kings host is that you feel like your teams are really on the rise. So FanDuel has thoughts as well. <laughs> so wanted to ask you guys about that, starting with Tony. FanDuel has the Pacers over under set at 38 and a half. So do you see them going over or under? It's a good line. I think uh, 35 last year, uh, but some questions about their team, new lineups, the future of Buddy Hill all may get cloudy how much better they'll be running through the schedule game by game. I got 39 wins, which is above 38 and a half, uh, but it's also barely above (laughs) 38 and a half. Uh, And like the, the the problem with going through the schedule is there's that plan or the in-season tournament now. So you don't know two of the games or where they're going to be or anything. So perhaps a little higher than 39. I would take the over, I think because I think there's more ways they overshoot their projections and undershoot it. Like if everything goes wrong for them, they're still probably about the same level of team as last year, just given the injuries they've dealt with and the age of a lot of their team. Whereas Mm -hmm. there's a lot more ways things could go right, whether that's one young player taking off or one signing being the perfect fit or just in general, mostly continuity helping them this season. So I think there's more ways that they would go over than under on that number, but I think it's really solid given what I said that when I do the schedule, I got basically the same thing. And Rylan FanDuel also gives the Thunder an over-under win total of 44 and a half. What do you make of that? Wow. Yeah, this is a fantastic. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's why I said also, line. yeah, yeah. Toasty. <laughs> this is a fantastic line because if you pick over, <laughs> then you you are locking the Thunder in to win your bet that they'll have at least a five-win improvement after a 16-win improvement last year, wow. which is just unbelievable but if you go under then this is a thunder team that is young and that will compete every single night to win basketball games and you can't say the same even for as tough as the west is you cannot say that every single team will care about winning every single night at the same level that the thunder will and so when we're talking strictly regular season that's where the thunder can make some some noise because this is a team that that has not played a ton in prime time and in national television games they now get eight such games this year that they're going to get up for. You mentioned the in-season tournament. This is a team that relishes any opportunity to to get promoted on social media, make some jokes on social media. They would love nothing more than to win the first ever in-season tournament. They would treat it like a big deal. And you can't say the same for the majority of the people in their pod and in their in their grouping in that tournament. So that can get them some more wins as well. And so when you factor in regular season, I will take the over, but I, I think it'll be similar to what Tony said, where it's like, you know, 45 wins, 46 mm-hmm. wins, something like that. But it's just that when you factor in how young they are and how they're going to care versus the level of care other teams will have. I think that they can hit the over. Now, Gavin FanDuel is giving a whole lot of love to the Knicks because their over under is 45 and a half. Oh, whatever. 
It, it was it was forty four and a half at one point, and I was I I looked at that and I was I, I couldn't believe it. And forty five and a half still feels again very low to me. Like on on paper, I don't see where this team is worse, except for again baking in the potential disaster of a Randall injury, baking in the East being stronger and and a scenario where not only Damian Lillard's coming East, but Drew Holiday is, is coming back East very quickly. And he ends up on one of the Sixers, Celtics um, or the Heat. Uh, but I, I just I just don't see how the Knicks are, are not better than they were last year. Um, Josh Hart added so much midseason with his transition verb, his, his ferocity, rebounding the basketball and, and just doubling down on what the Knicks greatest strength was, which was their ability to just bully teams like, like this was a group that had the third highest offensive rating in the NBA, um, one of the five highest in NBA history. And it was it was rarely pretty. It was a lot of Jalen Brunson, Julius Randle taking turns, isolating and, and then anything they missed, Mitchell Robinson gobbling up and finding a way to either put back or, or reset the offense. And I, I don't see any reason after getting a full year of heart and another player in DiVincenzo, who's a rugged defender, gives them even more spacing in the second unit and is also a tough rebounder. I, I just, I don't see where they're worse this season outside of baking in the same risks you have to bake in for every single team in the league. So I, I honestly have the Knicks probably at about 50 wins this season. Um, and I, to, to me, that, that feels very measured. Like I could see a world where they're better than that. And I, yeah, I could definitely see them manage through to get to 50. Now, one other question I want to ask you guys before we wrap up is just kind of looking at the conferences and obviously the NBA world got shaken up <laughs> with the announcement that Dame Lillard is taking his talents elsewhere to Milwaukee. But I'm thinking with that, there were a whole lot of other changes in the offseason across both of those conferences. So my question to you you guys is this. When you look at where the Pacers are, when you look at where the Thunder are, where the Knicks are, you look at the whole of, of the, the West, you look at the whole of the East, where do you guys kind of see you, you where do you kind of see yourselves like legitimately? And that that assumes all the positives that you guys have spoken about and all of the positives that other teams, all the moves that they've made, where do you legitimately see your team landing? up the board what seed it's a it's a loaded question i i think for the knicks i, I think i would average them out to probably the probably the five seed four or five i think i i i again boston milwaukee the only two teams i'm, I'm locked in ahead of them i i think three is probably their ceiling two is there is there everything goes right wow this is amazing super ceiling 12 13 style um, I think Cleveland is going to be an awesome regular season team. They they boast all the same continuity as the Knicks. They were the best defense in basketball last year. Max Struess gives them a viable fifth guy to finish games with who's not going to hurt them on either end of the floor. Um, I, I would have them a tad ahead of the Knicks. And then I think to Tony's point, and this was when we had Keith Pompey, the, the Locked On Sixers host on our pod recently, and he kind of drove this home like, hey, Joel Embiid's the defending MVP. Like Whatever's going on in Philly, as long as he's there, their baseline is probably being close to a 50-win team. So I, I think I think five seed feels feels right to me for the Knicks. Um, I could see a little bit better. I could see maybe a smidge worse. Anything lower than six, I, I think something went really wrong for the Knicks. Yeah. How about you, Rylan? Yeah, in the Western Conference, it's it's going to be interesting to see where the Thunder finish because we mentioned uh, previously with the win total that the Thunder are going to care about the regular season, which along with their talent is a huge feather in their cap. Then you have Memphis. How do they handle John Morant's suspension for about a quarter of the season? What, what are they going to do with, without him there? Can Dallas rebound from their scuttle last year after trading for Kyrie? 
is New Orleans ever going to be healthy? Because if they're healthy, that's a top four team in the West, as we saw the majority of last year. If they're mm-hmm. not healthy, they can slide all the way back down to the play-in tournament or even worse. So there's so many variables. What's Golden State going to be with an aging roster where you have to factor in where Chris Paul's at? And so when whenever you have the Clippers load managing also, that's why I think when you're talking seeding, which is based on regular season wins, the Thunder can be as high as like a four seed. But when you factor in you know the talent and, and, and if everything went right for every single team across the land, the Thunder mm-hmm. would be really good to be a six seed and avoid that playing tournament. And I think that they can do it, especially because they're the of all the talented teams in the West, they're the team that I count the most on that will take the regular season seriously and try to win every single night. And that alone will gain them a ton of extra wins to avoid that playing tournament in a conference where the difference will be a game or a game and a half. Indeed. I think the tricky part for me with the Pacers is I just said earlier, right? They can get to seventh, eighth, ninth in the East. They got to pass some teams to actually do that, right? So now I got to put somebody up. Who are they going to catch? I think the obvious one would be Toronto, who finished six wins ahead of them last year, but lost Fred VanVleet. Uh, who knows how good they will be? Their half-court offense might kind of stink, to put it nicely, this season, especially because they did not get Damian Lillard. That would be one. That is the team immediately in front. Uh, of the Pacers in the standings last year. The Bulls won 40 games last year. They could be better. They added some guys. They're also getting older and stale and have some injury-prone players. And yeah. then this this is kind of just a bank on uh, this team not being as good as everybody else thinks. But Brooklyn got a lot of their wins with Katie and Kyrie last year. They don't have those guys. I think they're still going to be good. Catching them could be hard for the Pacers. Like 45 wins is a lot. Mikael yeah. Bridges is awesome. But it's possible that they're like close to the same level of team at full strength. So those would be the teams that make sense to me for the Pacers to catch to go from 11 to that, you know, eight, nine, whatever range. But Orlando's also right on their behind. Orlando looks pretty good. They've got a lot of great young talent. So holding them off will also be part of this. So there are ways they can get up there. I think they can get into that mix. Their ceiling, if like I said, a lot of the stuff goes right earlier, probably is about seven, eight, nine to me. Like Atlanta and Miami seem a little above their ranking. But they can catch some of these other teams that get into that spot. But it'll take a lot for them because there's some good teams in their mix and teams right on their butt. Yeah, indeed, indeed. So I'll be looking, especially covering the Hawks, to see exactly what happens with the Knicks or with the Pacers and kind of how that – and I don't say it to be offensive, but kind of that middling group where literally it feels like every single year there's one, two, maybe three, and then everybody else. So, yeah. Oh, go ahead, Gavin. Oh, no, I, I was just going to agree with you. I, 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 think, I think there's a clear cut top two and then almost everything else like three through six is up for grabs. And then to Tony's point, that whole next tier in the East is, is very much up for grabs. And the West to Rylands is, is maybe even crazier. Coming up, which team can be the biggest surprise of this season? But first, snap into action this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and to kick off the NFL season FanDuel is the official partner of the NFL and listen you can visit FanDuel.com and include 
you know, money, their money lines, their props, so many opportunities there. And look, the NFL season is a great example of a topsy-turvy season where you probably need some good insight to help you to make the right bet. So again, visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and kick off the NFL season with the official partner of the NFL. Ben, the Timberwolves finished as the eight seed last year. How do they find their way out of the play-in tournament in the West this season? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, first and foremost, it's um, beyond staying healthy, of course, setting that aside because that was a huge issue last year with the injuries yeah. to Carl Anthony Towns, especially. But Anthony Edwards' progression, I think, becoming, you know, going from last year, he made the leap to be an all-star. Uh, I think going from star to superstar is is the quickest way to um, kind of shorten that gap and become a top four or five seed in the West instead of finding themselves in the play. And I think a combination of Carlton Towns playing more than 29 games and then also yeah. um, having Anthony Edwards make that next step forwards uh, again from star to superstar, I think is the best way to say it. That's going to be the, the key to this season for the Wolves. And it's interesting you mentioned that, Ben, because I had an opportunity to watch him in international play. I've also met him before, interviewed him a couple of years ago uh, when he was at Futures for All Star. And of course, he is from the Atlanta metro area. So I am a super fan. I do definitely think he is the guy, indeed, most recently with what I saw in international play, play he's a guy that can take that leap. Now, you mentioned it, so I'm going to ask you to kind of expand on that a little bit, right? Anthony Edwards is the obvious choice for the guy who needs to make that leap for the Timberwolves to make that leap as well. But outside of an Anthony Edwards making the leap, outside of a Carl Anthony Towns being his healthiest self, who's that next player for you who you feel has to step up his game in order for Minnesota to avoid the play-in? Yeah, I think um, well, the rest of the starting lineup is Mike Conley, Jade McDaniels, and Rudy Gobert. This will be the first mm -hmm. full season with Mike Conley in a Timberwolves uniform. Yes. He's pretty much a known quantity. Like We know what he's going to provide. I'd say basically the same about Rudy Gobert, although mm -hmm. last year he took a clear step backwards in his first year in Minnesota. How much of that is, hey, it was his first year in Minnesota. He was geared up to play with, Car with Carl Thady Towns and then ended up mm -hmm. only playing 29 games next to him in the regular season. Um, yeah. And how much of that was, hey, he's on the wrong side of 30 now, and perhaps he is starting to decline. I think it's probably somewhere in the middle. We may start be starting to see a gradual decline. He's got to be closer to the Rudy that played in Utah for so long than than the you know first year version of Rudy in Minnesota last year. But I think the biggest X factor, if you will, for the Wolves would be Jaden McDaniels. Um, he was by almost any measure one of the top two or three, maybe four perimeter defenders in the entire NBA last year, maybe even overall defenders. If he could continue to progress on that end of the floor and continue to be a good shooter, he was nearly 40% from three last year. And if he can add just a little bit to his offensive game, I mean, we're talking about another guy who could take that step into stardom. And then yeah. you're talking multiple all NBA bigs and Carl Anthony Towns, Rudy Gobert, a budding superstar in Anthony Edwards and a budding star in Jaden McDaniels. This could be a really, really good defensive team. And anything yeah. Jaden McDaniels gives you offensively is going to be gravy. And I think that's a great point that you make as well, because yeah, as you start to get deeper into the postseason, that's when that defense really, really counts more than anything. But as your numbers increase and the ability to be efficient and effective on the perimeter, we also know is definitely key. Now, interestingly enough, FanDuel has the over-under for the Timberwolves set at about 44 and a half. What do you kind of make of that line going into the season? I, I would take the over. 
Um, maybe not by a lot. I think uh, I haven't done my official full total win total projection yet at Lockdown Wolves, but uh, they won 42 games last year. And yes. and assuming relative health, assuming Carlton Towns plays more than a third of his team's games. Yeah, uh, I think it's fair to assume it's better than a three win improvement. You also factor in year two of Rudy Gobert being more comfortable. Mm-hmm. Ant is going to be better. Mike Conley is a better fit for this team than D'Angelo Russell was. And he played the first two thirds of the season with the Wolves last year at, at the point guard spot. Mm-hmm. So I think taking the over, obviously the West is is brutal um, yeah. and it's going to be brutal again this year. But I think taking the over on 44 and a half feels right. Um, I, I think that given that natural progression and slightly better health luck than last year, this mm-hmm. should be a 46, 47 plus win team in my mind. Yeah. And I, I think you make an interesting point because when you kind of look at that group in the Western Conference, I think that when I compare it, or at least in my mind, Ben, but when I compare it and I look at the Eastern Conference, I always feel like it's a one-two punch, kind of like Bucks, Celtics. They kind of give or take whoever's at the one and the two. Every now and again, you know, like last year, the Heat will creep in to the two spot or even the Bulls will kind of threaten to be in the three spot. And then after that, it's kind of like a deep fall off. I don't really feel like that in the Western Conference, right? Yeah, you can definitely say the Nuggets, obviously, is the NBA champions. You can say that about the Lakers. Everybody's kind of looking at them like, yeah, they're that next team. But I don't know, Ben. I feel like with the Timberwolves <laughs> and arguably just about any any other team in that conference, everything is kind of yours for the taking. And I feel like this team could also be one we're having a conversation about that's like, hey, they could sneak in and actually host an opening round series. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, the fourth seed last year was the Suns, and they only won 45 games. I mean, you're talking, there were, what, five teams that finished between 42 and 45 wins last season? And I think that's entirely on the table. Now, you assume maybe Golden State, you know, bounces back a little bit. If the Clippers ever, on some level, are healthy, the Lakers should be better. So there's several teams in front of the Wolves that you could assume will also be better. Um, Mm -hmm. But basically, everyone's going for it, right? There aren't very many teams that are expected to be to be bad beyond Houston and San Antonio, San Antonio, even Portland ended up with not a bad, you know, haul in, in the right. various trades that they made at the end of the off season, at, you know, surrounding Dame Lillard. So, I mean, you're talking about a conference, you're right. It's less top heavy. And obviously the defending champs are coming out of the West, but mm-hmm. this is a conference that like one through, I don't know, 11 or 12, even you can yeah. make an argument for all of those teams in the playoffs and, and the wolves will absolutely, uh, you know, have a shot. I think at still being in that top four or five teams, I think it's completely doable just given the high level talent and also the overall depth that this team has. Yeah. And when you look at this team and I, I agree with the, I, in looking at the warriors, I chuckle because it's like, well, it depends because they're so, Okay, I hate to say old, but how do we say Ben? Grown. Okay, they're real grown, grown, right? But that's kind of what I like about the Timberwolves. I feel like they're young, they're spunky, but they have just enough pieces, like a Rudy Gobert. If he has that kind of bounce back season, they need him to have a veteran presence like a Mike Conley. I like the mix of this team as well, because I think the kind of mix that you have is also how you're able to take that next step, and then you can sneak right in. And to me, nobody would be surprised if we're having a conversation about them being top four. Yeah, agreed. It, it, it's a great mix. Uh, you know, Mike Conley, Kyle Anderson's another one, Rudy Gobert, yeah. all guys that have been there, done that in terms of playoff experience. And in the case of Conley, made an all-star team. Obviously, Gobert's made multiple all-star teams, all NBA selections, defensive player of the year. So you've got some of those guys that have that track record. You've got guys that are somewhere in the middle, like Carl Anthony Towns, who's, who's in some ways a swing player because he can yeah. obviously get it done in the regular season. 
how does that how does what he brings to the table compute to winning? Um, how does what's that correlation look like? And then the sky really is a limit for Anthony Edwards and also Jade McDaniels, you know, maybe to a little bit of a lesser extent than Ant. But both of those guys, if they continue to grow, this feels like the right mix of veterans that have been there. Young guys who are trying to prove something and, and guys in the middle that also are trying to prove something. Cat wants to prove he could be part of a winner. Uh, there's also guys, uh, you know, in terms of bench depth, they've added Shake Milton has playoff experience with the Sixers. Sure. The last five seasons with Philadelphia, he's a big part of the bench now. They've just kind of added in the right um, the, the right mixture of the veteran presence, the playoff experience to kind of augment the superstar, you know, capabilities of Ants and Cat and Rudy Gobert. Yeah, love indeed what we're seeing up in Minnesota. So, Matt, let's start with one of the more surprising runs from last season with the Sacramento Kings in what was just a fun season to watch. I admit I got to see them personally when they came to play the Hawks. So, yeah, very fun team to watch. But what are your expectations around the Kings heading into this season? Well, it's funny is my expectations are actually significantly lower than the expectations of the team itself. And I realized that on media day, but my expectations were just, Hey, reaffirm or reestablish yourself as the team that you, the standard that you set last year, which is yeah. a perennial playoff team, get back to the playoffs, give or take the circumstances. would love to see the Kings actually get out of the first round and, and, show that kind of improvement, but technically they could be the same seed by winning more games. They could be a worse seed by winning more games. It just depends on how the Western conference shakes out. Yeah. Um, so that's like, that was the most feasible or tangible way that I was going to measure success was them getting back to the playoffs and then advancing through the playoffs. But then we came to media day and Mike Brown and De'Aaron Fox, first thing out of their mouths is, yeah, we're, we're playing for a championship. We're trying to win a championship. And every single team I feel like says that during media day, but you right. know, there's only a handful <laughs> of teams that, either actually mean it or actually have a chance. I don't know how good the Sacramento Kings chance is, but I believe that they do mean it. Yeah. And I, I would agree. Uh, it's so difficult to tell in the West because honestly, it's all, it's always a cluster fuffle. Like I feel like with the East, you know, for sure it's the bucks, you know, for sure it's the Celtics. And then that third slot is where there's kind of in and out bulls heat just depending on you know what day of the year or what year they're playing but when you start going down the list of you know the current champions the nuggets the suns grizzlies warriors i mean there's just so much at the top but i also think matt to your point a record could go anyway it could go in your favor as well so yeah there's a lot of competition out there but i do think that when we say that the kings are a team on the rise they truly are so one of the things that uh I think is a good mix as well is the combination of I'll call him a veteran like a Kevin Herter <laughs> who uh, man he like found his groove for real for real in uh, in Sacramento but also like you said those younger pieces that you're able to work with uh, De'Aaron Fox and even Harrison Barnes as far as like the OG if you will yeah. but you've got some pieces you've got some parts there as far as that potential starting lineup let me ask you this who out of maybe that second unit do you see really being a true factor, a contributor to also kind of round this team out, kind of like your sixth man? Well, Malik Monk is definitely the sixth man of this team, and he established himself as that last season and really established mm -hmm. himself less as like the sixth man scorer that we expected him to be and that Charlotte tried to make him throughout his career there, and then he showed little flashes of it with Los Angeles. Here in Sacramento, he became a playmaker. He, and, and he, he even said himself that Mike allowed him to kind of play his style of basketball, put his personality in the way that he played and, and showed off this flash and flair to his passing game. I mean, if there was someone throwing a lob, typically it was Malik Monk before it was Fox or Davion Mitchell or anything like that. But, I mean, I, I think 
last season, like Malik kind of had to step into that role because Davion was still trying to figure out what right. his role really was, especially on the offensive end coming off the bench. This year, I think Davion has put in a lot of work to understand and kind of take control as a, as a captain and leader of that second unit. So I still think it's Malik, but there are other guys. There's this, just so much depth, theoretically, yes. on this team from Davion to the addition of EuroLeague MVP Sasha Vizenkov to mm-hmm. the addition of JaVale McGee, who yes. I thought was just going to be a like a, a kind of a – reinforcement center, but he actually might have a bigger role than I expect. Like the, the Kings are loaded with talent. It's about finding yeah. the right combinations. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing. Like, and and that's kind of that dilemma that you have. It's the good dilemma to have, right? It's, but on the same token, the embarrassment of riches sometimes will make Mike Brown's job challenging. Right. But yeah. the good thing is being with the warriors for years you, he had the opportunity to kind of see how to move those pieces around and even, uh, subbing in, you know, as an interim coach, I had the opportunity to see like so many powerful pieces. How, how am I going to be able to mix those and make sure that we're still winning and everybody's happy. So, yeah. Now, the other thing I wanted to know is this to me, obviously it's De'Aaron Fox. And I, I think that DeMontis Sabonis is a good look as well, but I'm curious to see, and even a Kevin Herter, like I'm still a big fan of what Kevin Herter can do. And I was so excited for what I saw out of him with the Kings last year. But if you had to look across the roster, Matt, whether it's your starters, whether it's your stup- superstar or whether it's your role player, who is that X factor that like Beck Brown said, like De'Aaron Fox said, we're, we're gunning for the finals. Well, who's the X factor that helps him to get there? The biggest X factor. Before I give that specific answer, um, mm-hmm. I, I'll say that what's exciting about this team is, in theory, everybody can make a jump, including De'Aaron Fox, including DeMontis Sabonis. Like, there's room for everybody to improve, which is exciting, mm-hmm. and that's what the Kings are essentially betting on is more internal improvement. That's why they yeah. didn't go out and make some big free agency or trades or anything swings this offseason. But the answer is Keegan Murray. Like they're, they're putting a lot on the shoulders of Keegan Murray and it might be too much for right now. So they might still be a year away, but Keegan uh, is, is being charged with becoming kind of that third go-to score or at, mm-hmm. at times a, a shot creator and a, and a shot maker when, because uh, the reality is like De'Aaron has so much attention on him. Now De'Aaron, regardless of who's guarding him, can get to anywhere he wants on yeah. the floor. <laughs> but if you can have De'Aaron on the other side of the floor as a constant threat to where defenses have to keep an eye on him and Keegan Murray is given the space to operate and he can attack the basket or hit a step back three or shoot a little more off the dribble than he did. He was like a catch and shoot maniac last season. Yeah. Uh, I, I think his like if if. Keegan Murray can get to the point that the Sacramento Kings want to him to get to, which they believe mm-hmm. he can be an all-star. Again, I don't know if that's happening this season, but if he got to that point, the Kings are – we're talking NBA Finals for the Kings, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I I, I mean, that that is huge. That's absolutely huge. So let's go back to – and you actually answered another one of my questions, which was who do you think was going to make that jump? So I love that. One other question, and I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here, Matt, but where do you see this team kind of landing in terms of – wins uh this year where do you think they can go because i think it was uh well let me see i think we're we're talking about a a spread of somewhere around like 42 44 Mm. but where do you think they land yeah i've seen the majority of people seem to think the sacramento kings are going to drop off and i think it's foolish Mm. because it's more based off of what other teams have done or this unbelievable um or i should say like very short-sighted take or belief that the Sacramento Kings were just injury healthy last season and and super lucky with injuries, which was absurd seeing as 
Demonis Sabonis played through an injury since the right. season. Aaron Fox was injured in the playoffs as well mm-hmm. as during the regular season. Keegan Murray was injured. Like the Kings were hurt last year. They just played through it and they didn't need to sit out like most of the other stars in the league. Mm-hmm. So they, they fought their way through it. But my expectation, or, or at least the number that I have in my head is the number that, that um, both Mike and Monty McNair, Kings general manager established for themselves in, in the end of season press conference last year, which is that 50 win mark. They believe yeah. like to be a true championship contender in the NBA, you're, you have to be a 50 plus win team. Indeed. So that, that's kind of the bar that I think the Sacramento Kings have set for themselves. They might not reach it. They might be close. I expect firmly the Sacramento Kings to remain in that pack of established playoff teams in the Western Conference. That's where my expectations truly lay. And if the mm-hmm. Kings can get that 50 win number, then they're in good shape. In good shape indeed. And check that. Let me give the Kings their flowers because FanDuel said 48. Repeating right back to it. We'll take it. If they can copy and paste what they did last season with a little better defense, this team's scary. So that'll do it for episode four of the ultimate NBA season preview with our teams on the rise to find out where all of the NBA teams land this season. Check out Locked On NBA and get all six episodes of the ultimate season preview. We'll see you.